0: Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the Old Testament book of Daniel. We are currently in chapter 11 at verse 36. Hello, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today. Let's begin reading, why don't we, in verse 36 of chapter 11 in the book of Daniel, where it says this. Then the king will do as he pleases. And he will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will speak monstrous things against the god of gods. And he will prosper until the indignation is finished for that which is decreed will be done. He will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or for the desire of women, nor will he show regard for any other god, for he will magnify himself above them all. But instead he will honor a god of fortresses, a god whom his fathers did not know. He will honor him with gold, silver, costly stones, and treasures. He will take action against the strongest of fortresses with the help of a foreign god. He will give great honor to those who acknowledge him and will cause them to rule over the many and will parcel out land for a price. At the end time, the king of the south will collide with him, and the king of the north will storm against him with chariots, with horsemen, and with many ships. And he will enter countries, overflow them, and pass through. He will also enter the beautiful land. And many countries will fall, but these will be rescued out of his hand, Edom, Moab, and the foremost of the sons of Ammon. Then... He will stretch out his hand against other countries, and the land of Egypt will not escape. But he will gain control over the hidden treasures of gold and silver, and over all the precious things of Egypt, and Libyans and Ethiopians will follow at his heels. But rumors from the east and from the north will disturb him, and he will go forth with great wrath to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion, between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain, yet he will come to his end, and no one will help him. So we find ourselves here at the uh, last of chapter 11 in the book of Daniel, and I apologize for the fact that in the previous episode I set it up as if I were uh, going to finish the Uh, chapter 11 in that episode, and I was not able to accomplish uh, that. And so, uh, therefore, this uh, final section in verse 36 through the end of the chapter has been reserved for this episode all of its own. So, we want to uh, establish the fact that that the angel has been revealing these things to Daniel, um, and he's uh, begun, really, all the way back in chapter 9. But uh, this particular part of the revelation uh, really started in verse, uh, that is, verse 1 of chapter 11. And he he has, what seems to be, taken this excursion into the Greek empire. And the reason why he went in a great amount of detail, especially about two of the major divisions of the Greek empire uh, because he wanted to focus in on this one king or this one ruler, this Syrian ruler uh, of... uh, Of that section of the Greek Empire, and that is the ruler that we have come to know, to know uh, uh, according to our uh, Greek history as Antiochus the Fourth, Epiphanes, and uh, uh, you may pronounce it uh, with a different emphasis, perhaps on a on a different uh, syllable, and that would mean uh, uh, Antiochus the Fourth but either way you pronounce it, it's still the same guy. And this particular person, uh, I believe that uh, the angel uh, wants to uh, highlight his career because his career is a foretaste. It is sort of like a preview of uh, what is to come in this, this Roman ruler that is to come uh, much, much later in the Roman empire out of a 10 nation confederacy. And that in itself is a distinction you see uh, between uh, between this Greek ruler who uh, happens to be Syrian and yeah uh, and yet, he has done something. He has uh, carried out an action that is so despicable. Uh, he is, his character was despicable even before he did this, but this is a highlight of his whole entire career. The climax is that he uh, he took and sacrificed a sow uh, in the holy place, uh, that is, in the temple of God, and he sprinkled the blood and the, the serum from that sow uh, sacrifice all over, the holy place, and in the holy of holies, he placed a uh, an idol, which uh, uh, some believe it was the idol of Zeus. And he he, but he put his own name there. That meant he was replacing the God of Israel, the God of the Jews, in the holy of holies. That was a uh, it, it was something called the abomination of desolation. And that's the previous paragraph in the last episode, and we we went to that in in uh, great detail, and the reason why we did that, and the reason why I believe the angel is doing that for Daniel, is to bring us to a reflection of the of the real thing that is yet to come, and in fact it is still yet to come, uh, we believe, and that is from this Roman emperor or this Roman king, this Roman ruler, or at least he finds his roots in the uh, in the people groups or in the geography, uh, in uh, in that demographic that composed the uh, the old Roman Empire, and yet he will be uh, uh, a ruler there, and he will carry out similar functions, and that is the connection with chapter 9, verse 27. If you want to look at that, it says, and he, speaking of this Roman ruler uh, who comes out of a ten-nation confederacy, it says in verse 27 of chapter 9, and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, and that is the Jewish people, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until... A complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So, in the uh, in the revealed timetable of these these 490-year period, there is this last section of seven years that is composed in that uh, one verse, and the career of this Roman king. Is, uh, is highlighted by the fact that he will desecrate the temple with an abomination of desolation. That is totally different and distinct from uh, what Nebuchadnezzar did when he destroyed the temple when he dismantled it when he when he actually before that he actually took the 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 that is the 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 instruments and the the various uh, uh gold articles and silver articles he, and bronze articles he took them uh, to babylon and then he he destroyed the city of Jerusalem and he destroyed the temple. But destruction isn't the same as this action here. This is a unique thing where a person places himself in the Holy of Holies, and declares himself to be the replacement of the God of Israel, the God of the Hebrews, the God of the Jewish people, the God in the Holy of Holies. That is a is what is has a special term to it, and it's called the abomination of desolation. So the reason why chapter 11 is here, at least the first section of chapter 11, all the way down through verse 35, is to describe this one man from the Greek empire who did this and his name was Antiochus Epiphanes and uh And that is exactly what we find described. What's interesting is without any flurry or flourish or without any other marker necessarily uh, in the passage, uh, we might not even notice this, but verse 36 actually shifts the focus away from this Greek uh, uh, ruler called uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, and he focuses it upon, evidently, this Roman emperor or this Roman king that he introduced in chapter 9 and a lot of the elements of uh, verse 36 all the way through the end of the chapter a lot of the the details or the at least the key code words uh, are found in the description of the of the career of this roman ruler and i know this sounds uh, rather uh, confusing, perhaps, especially if you've never heard of this before, but one is a preview. Uh, uh, verses uh, uh, 29 through 35, that is that is the preview career of Antiochus Epiphanes, and he is a glimmer, uh, a foretaste, a foreshadowing, you might say, a type, if you want to use that kind of word, of the future uh, Roman ruler who is to rule over uh, the entire, Uh, uh, European continent, evidently. And that even includes uh, the the Middle East itself. It even includes what uh, we find here as the beautiful land. And so that's what we find. There is this subtle shift because the focus is still about this this thing of the abomination of desolation. And there are only two people that are guilty of this particular kind of thing. One is in our past, as we say, Sit here reading the book of Daniel. It is in our past, and the other has not been yet fulfilled. Yes, the Romans did come in, and Titus and the armies uh, uh, th- that were under that leadership uh, completely uh, dismantled the uh, the temple, and they they desecr they didn't desecrate the holy place. That's the point. They dismantled it. They destroyed it. They burned it. They did everything they could to retrieve all the gold out of it, uh, and everything else, but they didn't commit what is called the abomination of desolation? Yes, you might say that uh, the Roman emperor was a was a uh, uh, was a uh, created himself as being a god. But the Roman emperor at the time did not set himself into the holy of holies. Instead, Titus destroyed it, destroyed the holy of holies, destroyed the the temple, destroyed the city of Jerusalem, and uh, took over the place. And uh, uh, that is not at all what was prophesied. In the book of Daniel, of what this Roman ruler might do one day. And so that's the reason it is important for us to catch these connections. And in this case, catch the connection that, that drives these two paragraphs. Verses 29 through 35 talks about uh, Antiochus' epiphanies, whereas 36 through the end of the chapter talks about this other king, this other king that was introduced in chapter 9, this king that comes and arises out of the Roman Empire, destroys three of those ten kings and replaces them uh, with himself. And then he goes into the temple, sets himself up in that temple, holy of holies that uh, currently isn't in existence yet. Uh, there is no holy of holies in the Jewish temple. There is no Jewish temple. Uh, the temple mount is bare from, from that standpoint, and uh, except for uh, the Islamic uh, dome of the rock, they call it. Uh, but uh, that still is not the Jewish holy of holies. And so there, there must be some sort of structure, some sort of uh, uh, temple, or some sort of maybe just a Tabernacle, a tent that is uh, reconstructed uh, so that there is a Jewish holy of holies, and when that is done, this person, this person in verse thirty-six, will be the one who take over that uh, takes over that holy of holies with himself, with an image of himself in that place. That is what is called the desecration uh, of the temple. That is what's called the abomination of desolation by that particular label. And uh, so the one reflects the next, and that's what we're anticipating is what is coming next. Well, we'll be back right after this short break. So then, we find ourselves again at the uh, last half, or the last portion that is, Daniel chapter 11. And it says there in verse 36, then the king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will speak monstrous things against the God of gods. That's the God of Israel. And he will prosper until the indignation is finished for that which is decreed will be done. You see, there is a decree that God has issued already from heaven that this person will not stand, will not stand for very long, and uh, he will be conquered. His kingdom will be conquered by the Messiah, but it's still yet, uh, we believe, still in the future. But in the meantime, it is a decree that has gone forth uh, in chapter 9, in fact, and verse 27, which we've read in the first half of this episode. He says, says he will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or for the desire of women and uh, that uh, that may not be uh, a description of his sexual desires what it may be uh, is a description of his animosity toward the anticipation of the Jewish people uh, of bringing uh, the messiah into the world and he he has a warped sense of the fact that that he has no uh, no respect for the um, uh, the messiah who really has already come, but uh, many Jewish women would would have preferred to have had the have been the uh, the mother of the Messiah, and uh, so he has no regard for for that desire to uh, 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 on behalf of other women. That is on behalf of women to bring the Messiah into the world. So he says he has no regard for other God. He will magnify himself above them all. And, uh, so he's, but what's interesting is, is that this fellow is presented here in this passage as not a complete atheist in the, in the purest sense of the word, because he still, uh, understands something about the supernatural. And, uh, and he's so he still goes there and what's interesting is is he will show no re, he, he nor will he show regard for any other god for he magnify himself so he sees himself as being the god of all gods he's replaced himself in that role of being the god of Israel or the god of all, uh, all other gods and he says he. But instead, he says, uh, verse thirty-eight: "Will honor a god of fortresses, a god whom his fathers did not know. He will honor him with gold, silver, costly stones, and treasures." Evidently, this seems to be uh, a military god of some sort, or at least that image is called to bear here when he's the god of fortresses. And uh, and we don't know exactly what that means because he's he set himself up as being a god, and yet he, yet on the other hand, he depends upon this outside force or energy or this other... um, spirit being, perhaps, to give him his power and his strength. And he's willing to bring gold and silver and and uh, costly stones and treasures uh, in order to honor this other god. And it says he will take action against the strongest of fortresses with the help of a foreign god. He will give great honor to those who acknowledge him and will cause them to rule over the many and will parcel out land for a price. So evidently, this person has enough religion about him or enough religious ideas that he he kind of brings into his uh, worldview that he actually is able to convince some Jewish people to, uh, to follow him. That's what's going over here. It says he will cause them to rule over the many. Those are, that's, the re- that's a reference to the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. And so uh, uh, he'll give great honor to those who acknowledge him. And so for those who want to follow him, for those who want to worship him, he will give special place for them in his government someplace. They will become his bureaucracy uh, because they choose to honor him as their God. And um, evidently uh, it involves some Jewish people and it says, and will parcel out land for a price. Uh, And that's a fascinating um, thing for this person to uh, begin to do is to give uh, land away or to parcel out land. And yet the nation of Israel has uh, has given land away over and over and over again since the uh, uh, Balfour Declaration in 1920, where the, the British were given the, uh, the British mandate that was called. And uh, that was uh, that was partial doubt. It was a large portion of land, and yet it was given away and given away over a whole period of time. It's section by section by section for the sake of peace. And evidently, this person is going to arrive on the scene, and he's going to give away land for the sake of somehow protecting Israel as if he wants to be the hero for the nation of Israel. And he will devise a way of peace that includes parceling out land. And uh, so beware of anybody who comes along and says, well, we should we should just give away more land. And yet the land is God's land to give to whom he has promised it. And uh, so we should honor the land promises of God just as much as we honor other promises of God in the Bible. And so, uh, when when a when a person starts to make his mark in the world by giving land, especially if he if he suggests that he's going to give away part of the uh, the uh, uh, the Temple Mount away, uh, perhaps uh, some to uh, some group and uh, portions p- portions of it to other groups, so that Jewish people maybe ha- give a get a chance to re uh, reestablish uh, their own holy place on the Temple Mount, if he's somehow negotiate giving away land so that they can have a part of it uh, there uh, for the sake of peace and so that uh, every major religion may have a piece of the of the Temple Mount well then that's what he's willing to do uh, now we don't know exactly that, that that is what that means but I'm telling you if uh, this fellow is uh, characterized by parcelling out land for a price then beware of anyone who begins to give away the land of Israel, or the land of promise to anybody except Israel. It says, at the end time, the king of the south will collide with him. So there's something else going to be going on here. Uh, in his career. And uh talks about the king of the south will collide with him. The king of the north will storm against him with chariots and um, with horsemen and with many ships, and he will enter countries, overflow them, and pass through. So he's going to be successful in many regards in a military way, and yet he will also... Uh, not always find allies. There will be those who see him as a threat, who th- see his empire as a threat. And even though he may have gotten to this position by promoting a globalist agenda, yet uh, yet uh, not the entire globe w- will be con- continually or perpetually uh, loyal to him. And others will be uh, coming to the surface who will challenge his authority, challenge his rule, challenge his kingdom. And that's what this is all about. And he will enter the beautiful land. Somehow he moves his throne or moves his ruling spot uh, out of wherever it came from, perhaps Rome or perhaps Babylon. But uh, either way, he moves it into the beautiful land. It says, and many countries will fall, but these will be rescued out of his hand: Edom, Moab, and the foremost of the sons of Ammon. And if you were to uh, uh, to look at a, a map, you would discover that that those ancient kingdoms that are described in the Old Testament. Uh, uh, weren't uh, uh, we're always loyal to the nation of Israel at all and yet they're going to be rescued we don't know exactly why that is but uh, uh uh, but we do know that that same geography that's described as as Edom, Moab and uh, the sons of Ammon that uh, that geography is currently uh, the nation of Jordan and evidently Jordan will be rescued uh, from the uh, from the grip of uh, the this leader of the Roman Empire now the um, The Jewish people would have called him Armius, but uh, but, uh, the New Testament believers today, we would call him Antichrist. Uh, Just in case you haven't caught on to that yet, or I haven't introduced that thought to you yet. Uh, we wanted to be clear before we got through this entire passage who we're talking about, but somehow Jordan will be rescued from his grip. Then he will stretch out his hand against other countries and the land of Egypt will not escape. And he will gain control over the hidden treasures of golds and silver and over the precious things of Egypt and Libyans and Ethiopians, that's Northern Africa, will join with, with, uh, with Egypt. But, and will join with him, and Egypt will be overthrown. It says he, they uh, they will follow at his heels. We're not quite sure if that means they're going to become enemies or they're going to become followers, but it says in verse 44, but rumors from the east will and from the north will disturb him, and he will go forth with great wrath to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain. So uh, this fellow will take up... Uh, some sort of temporary device, some sort of temporary. Um uh, place of of a uh, perhaps just erecting tents and uh, uh, temporary location between uh, Temple Mount and the Mediterranean Sea, Pl- someplace in there, he will make his military headquarters, and it won't be a permanent fortress in terms of a a building, but evidently it will be his his throne will be moving there, and it says uh, uh, yet he will come to his end, and no one will help him, so uh, he will come to his end, we know, because of the Messiah returning. Although that is not necessarily a part of this paragraph, that is what we can do when we piece various other descriptions of this man's career together. We will discover that this fellow has a limited amount of time. Once he desecrates the temple, it will only be three and a half years worth of, uh, of, uh, of rain on the earth for this particular human uh, uh, king, uh, human tyrant, and uh, and then the Messiah will will come back. He will return. The Messiah will rule one day over the entire area and over the entire globe. And we're going to find out a little bit about that, and a little bit about the blessings of that, and a little bit about the timing of that in chapter twelve of the book of Daniel. Thank you, dear Father, for these words of prediction, these words that give us understanding, not only about the things that have happened in our past, that we can go and compare and say, this was fulfilled here and there and there by this person and that person. And yet there are some of these things that we find that have not been fulfilled yet, The equipment has has not been prepared. The things have not been put into place. The nations have not arranged themselves in such a way as to find these things being fulfilled. The descriptions that we find in their details we do not yet see but we pray you'd give us insight by your grace, by your power and by your Holy Spirit we ask you to show us the things that are yet to come so that we, in our spirit and in our mind, can be prepared for whatever happens. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendal Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.